going to be reading um, from the ESV uh, translation, 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 7. <clears throat> we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy, their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave accordingly to their means, not as I, not as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I remember reading from Second Corinthians 9:16. The point is this: whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all su- sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies the seed to the sower and bread for the food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgiving to God. For their approval of this service will glorify God because of your submission, and that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all, all others, while they are long, while they long for you to pray for you because of your surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Amen. Charity. Charity is an act. But compassion, or generosity that is, I'm sorry, charity is an act, generosity is a pilgrimage. Charity is an act, but generosity is a pilgrimage. You know, this was written by D. Lindsay, I'm sorry, D. Michael Lindsay, who's the president of Gordon College in Wenham, Massachusetts. Some of you are aware of Gordon College. Some of you have gone to Gordon College. But Dr. Lindsay wrote an article shortly after Gordon College received a $75.7 million donation to Gordon College, the largest gift ever recorded to an evangelical college in history. And in response, Dr. Lindsay wrote an article, and in that article he wrote this line, Charity is an act, but generosity is a pilgrimage. And he was making the point 
that acts of charity are different from a heart of generosity. Acts of charity are different from a heart of generosity. You know, Giving Tuesday has kind of become a thing in our culture. You know, immediately after the gluttony of Black Friday and the indulgence of Cyber Monday, we're encouraged then on Giving Tuesday to give charitably. And many people do almost as an act of penance, maybe to assuage the guilt of our consciences. But friends, such acts of charity are different from a heart of generosity. Because you can give on Giving Tuesday and still not have a heart of generosity. Acts of charity are different from a heart of generosity. Because charity is just an act, whereas generosity is a pilgrimage. But you already know this. You already know this because if you have a friend who lives on junk food and fast food and processed foods, and then one day she eats a salad and declares to you, I'm a healthy eater. Yeah, you you laugh. You don't believe that. But what if she begins eating salad not just once a year, but twice a year? How, How about twice a month? What about twice a week? And, and then she cuts out eating fast food. And then she stops buying junk food. And then she begins eliminating processed food. Now, would you believe her statement, I'm a healthy eater? You see, the difference is that one is an act. Eating a salad is an act. But the other is part of a pilgrimage. Charity is an act. Generosity is a pilgrimage. And Chestnut Street, we're invited to commit together not just to acts of charity, but to a pilgrimage of generosity. Because charity is only an act, but generosity is a pilgrimage. You know, Jesus taught us it is more blessed to give than receive. It is more blessed to give and receive. And interestingly, we never hear these words in the Gospels. Only because the Apostle Paul recorded it in Acts chapter 20, verse 35. It is more blessed to give than receive. That's the only reason why we have these words of Jesus. And the Greek word that's translated here as blessed is the same word that Jesus used when he taught the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, the meek, the merciful, the pure in heart, and so on. And while hashtag blessing has become popular on our social media, when something good befalls you, what do you do? Hashtag I'm blessed. You've seen your friends do that. Maybe you've done that. But Jesus' use of the word blessed seems so dramatically different from our popular usage, doesn't it? You see, Jesus' use of blessed doesn't just mean happiness or good fortune has befallen you. It's more blessed to give and receive. Jesus is saying a surer way to blessing, a surer way to the good life, to lasting satisfaction, to the Lord's pleasure, is to give rather than receive. Jesus says the blessed life is actually a life characterized by generosity. And it shouldn't surprise us. I mean, it shouldn't surprise us at all, but science has come to back up what Scripture teaches. In their book, The Paradox of Generosity, Giving We Receive, Grasping We Lose, authors Christian Smith and Hilary Davidson found, and I quote, Generosity is paradoxical. Those who give receive back in turn. By spending ourselves for others' well-being, we enhance our own standing. 
in letting go of some of what we own, we ourselves move towards flourishing. This is not only a philosophical or religious teaching, it's a sociological fact. Being more generous is simply better for you by any measure. Science simply discovering what Jesus already taught us. It is more blessed to give than to receive. The way to the blessed life is by living generously. In fact, there was another study that found that you will live 10 years longer and take half of the medicine if you are generous in three ways each week. Generous in three ways each week. That's not just an act of charity. That is a lifestyle. That's a lifestyle change of generosity. It isn't simply the generous acts that matter. It's generous practices. You know, it's not just occasional acts of charity, but a lifestyle of generosity. Because charity is just an act, but generosity is a pilgrimage. So church, don't just do charity. Jesus doesn't say do charity. He says, blessed, it is more blessed to give than receive. The blessed way to live is by the pilgrimage towards generosity. And Chestnut Street, this is one of the commitments that we make together to one another as a church family. As many of you know, the Sunday mornings this fall, we're discussing some revisions and some clarifications to the church covenant that the elders will be bringing to our December business meeting. Remember, our church covenant is a collection of the promises. It's the commitments that we make to one another as a church family. Commitments that are supposed to guide us together as we all pursue Christ. And one of the commitments that we make together is not merely the acts of charity, but a commitment to surprising generosity, a commitment to pursuing a pilgrimage of generosity. Now, before we consider the case study that Candy read for us this morning, let's briefly consider the life of the early church. How did they live out the reality of what Jesus taught when he said it's more blessed to give than receive? Not just doing charity, how did they live generously? And the earliest report that we have of the life of the early church is found in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, verses 44 and 45, it says, And all who believed were together, and they had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all, as any had need. And then just a couple chapters later, in Acts chapter 4, Verses 32 through 35, we read, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. No one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as they had need. I don't know about you, but I read these reports of the generosity and the generous giving of the early church. It seems unbelievable, doesn't it? I mean, almost too good to be true. And some people have tried to look at these passages and use them to argue for a particular political system or a philosophy. But friends, what we're seeing here is not a political statement. This isn't Christian communism or socialism. This isn't about forced or imposed redistribution of wealth. It is about surprising generosity. It is about surprising generosity of people committed to the pilgrimage 
of generosity. Note that in all of these passages, everyone was called, but none was compelled to give. Everyone was called, but none were compelled to give. Because even as Candy read for us in 2 Corinthians 9-7, each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And isn't that the type of giving that we see here in the early church? These were a bunch of cheerful givers. There wasn't forced redistribution. This wasn't a political picture. This is a pilgrimage of generosity. A people committed together to grow in generosity. You know, theologian John Calvin wrote about this scene, and this is what he said. He said, we must have hearts that are harder than iron if we're not moved by the reading of this narrative. In those days, the believers gave abundantly of what was their own. We in our day are content not just to jealously retain what we possess, but callously rob others. They sold their own possessions in those days. In our day, it's the lust to purchase that reigns supreme. In our day. Calvin wrote that 500 years ago. Have we gotten any better? The lust to purchase reigns supreme. You know, in an interview about generosity, Pastor Tim Keller of Redeemer Presbyterian in New York City said that we, as Christians today, we have the frog in the kettle problem. Americans of 40 years ago would be shocked to see what Christians today think of as necessities. But we view things this way because we keep defining the basics the way the consumer capitalist culture wants us, which is always being redefined upward and quickly. And so, as John Calvin said 500 years ago, we continue to live out today. In our day, it is the lust to purchase that reigns supreme. A clear characteristic of the pilgrimage of generosity that marked the early church was the other direction, wasn't it? While we're acquiring, they were given. As we increased, they were decreasing. What marked the early church was sacrifice. It wasn't the lust to purchase that reigned supreme. But instead, what does it say? It says they sold and they sacrificed lands and houses that others might have as they needed. And church, what if? What if the church of Jesus Christ did the same thing? There was a family, and while waiting at the traffic light with her parents in Atlanta, Georgia, Kevin and Joan Salwin's 14-year-old daughter, daughter named Hannah, it's a good name, saw a black Mercedes coupe on the side of the road and a homeless man begging food on the other side. And Hannah turned, she looked at her father, and she said, Dad, if that man had a less nice car, then that man over there could have a meal. And as they pulled away, Hannah insisted, we should do something about the inequity. And the mother asked, well, what should we do? And 14-year-old Hannah replied, we should sell our house. And eventually... Friends, that's what the Salvin family did. They sold their luxurious home, donated half of the proceeds, and then they bought a modest replacement home. And they wrote about their journey in a book that they released in 2001 called The Power of Half. One family's decision to stop taking and start giving back. And Hannah writes in it, For us, the house was something we could live without. It was too big for us. Everyone has too much of something whether it's time, talent, or treasure, everyone does have their own half. You just have to find it. 
Everyone has their own half. You just have to find it. That's radical. But isn't that what we see in the life of the early church? What if we saw that in the life of the church today? Do we believe it's more blessed to give than to receive? The pilgrimage to generosity cost the early church something. And friends, it'll cost us as well. Now, i got to warn you at this point, it's easy. It is so easy to listen to a sermon like this and say, Oh yeah, yeah, preach it. The church should give more. They have a lot in the bank. Or to go, Oh yeah, that person should give more because he's well off. Or those people should give more because they have so much. But friends, a pilgrimage of generosity is not about what they're giving. It's about what I'm giving. The question that God is asking you right now is how can he or she give more, but how could you be giving more? Believing that it is more blessed to give than to receive. Because friends, every single one of us, from the very least to the greatest, is called to a pilgrimage of generosity. And you might be listening to this going, Adam, Adam, stop it. I can't give any more than I'm already giving. And God might ask, well, why not? Well, because if I give more than I'm currently giving, it's going to affect my lifestyle. Exactly. Do you think it affected the lifestyle of the early church as they sold lands and homes and possessions? The pilgrimage of generosity is going to cost. The difference between acts of charity and a pilgrimage of generosity is when it affects your lifestyle, is when it affects what you buy and what you choose not to buy, and where you buy, and how you live, and where you live, working to to change long-established patterns, establish new habits of spending and saving and giving, all for the purpose of becoming more generous, all believing Jesus' words that he really meant it when he said it's more blessed to give than receive. You know, as the old slogan says, live simply that others might simply live. Is there somewhere in your life that you could have, that you could do with less, that, that you could sacrifice? Not, not just do acts of charity, but continue on a pilgrimage of generosity, somehow reducing over here so that you can be more generous over there. Consider the pilgrimage of generosity that Candy read for us in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. You know, for the sake of time, I only had to read the very beginning and the very end of the account. But all of that in between 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 is the entire section. It's an appeal by the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth because they've been taking up a collection to help needy believers in Jerusalem and he wants them to finish this act, to complete this act of generosity, to help these people in need. And this is his argument. And he offers the Corinthians an example of the Macedonians. He says, these are people who are on a pilgrimage of generosity. Emulate them. But what do we learn? What do we learn about generosity from this example? The most shocking statement, I think, is right in the very beginning. In chapter 8, verses 3 and 4, it says, For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. I mean, seriously? 
According to Paul, the churches in Macedonia were suffering affliction and in his words in verse 2, extreme poverty. And yet, Paul says, they gave not only of their means, but beyond their means. And then they begged earnestly, let us do more. I mean, just like us, right? Let us do more. Struggling to make ends meet, suffering affliction, even extreme poverty, yet begging for the opportunity to do and to give even more. Friends, these weren't people who were simply doing acts of charity. These were people committed to a pilgrimage of generosity. They had a growing burden to give more. However, the truth when I look in my heart is I find a burden to give anything. I find it's a burden to give anything. It's painful. It's painful to part with my money and my possessions, my time. I mean, even considering the smallest increase in my giving feels like a great sacrifice, doesn't it? So what motivated the Macedonians? What motivated these people to give so generously? Well, it was an obligation. Obligation doesn't, doesn't motivate people this way. It wasn't a law they must follow. It wasn't guilt or emotional manipulation. It, it, they weren't compelled. Paul writes in chapter 8, verse 8, I say this not as a command. He's not commanding them. Because, friends, people can be obligated, guilted, and compelled into acts of charity. We know that. People can be obligated, guilted, or compelled into acts of charity. But generosity is a pilgrimage. It's a heart issue. And church, the Macedonians were on a pilgrimage of generosity not because of obligation, guilt, or compulsion. They were on a pilgrimage of generosity because of joy. Did you catch that? When Candy read it for us in in chapter 8, verse 2, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Their abundance of joy. They were experiencing what Jesus taught. It's more blessed to give than to receive. There is joy in generosity. By clinging to the temporary joy of possessions, I miss the lasting joy of joining with God and accomplishing His purposes and plans. Church, there is joy. Joy in generosity. When God invites us on a pilgrimage of generosity, He doesn't invite us for His sake. Hear that again. When He invites us on a pilgrimage of generosity, He's not inviting you for His sake. God doesn't need anything from you. God can and will accomplish His purposes with or without you. He invites you to be generous not for His sake, but for your sake. God invites us on a pilgrimage of generosity, not for His sake, but for your sake. Because only in generosity, church, is there true joy. It is not in having, it's in the giving. It's not in possessing, it's in the presenting. It is not in the receiving, but in the giving that we find blessedness. So when you and I cling to our possessions, when we settle for acts of charity instead of a pilgrimage of generosity, we miss out on joy. Friends, this is why Paul twice in verses 6 and 7 calls generosity an act of grace. An act of grace. There is joy in a pilgrimage of generosity because you and I will experience more of God's grace. Do you want that? Do you want to experience more of God's grace? Paul tells us how to right here. 
A pilgrimage of generosity is an invitation to experience more of God's grace. It's what Paul writes about in 2 Corinthians 9, verses 8 through 11. As Candy read for us, God is able to make what? All grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it's written, he's distributed freely, he's given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. And he who supplies the seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing, increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way. Why? To be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Friends, generosity is an act of grace because we find that God puts us in the middle. He invites you and I to stand in the middle and we become conduits of God's grace. We become channels of His generosity to other people. So do you want to experience more of God's grace? Then don't seek the grace just for yourself. Let Him lead you on a pilgrimage of generosity and you will become a conduit of His grace to other people. And in in doing so, you will experience His grace as it flows through you to this world. And there is joy inexpressible because you will see not only His generosity to you, but to others through you as you generously share His grace. And you will experience the joy of being part of the very generosity of God. He invites us to a pilgrimage of generosity because, friends, there is joy. There is an opportunity to experience and be a conduit of His grace to other people and to this world. And more than that, look at verses 11 and 12. Paul says this all results in thanksgiving to God. Verse 12, for the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, it's not only helping people, but it is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. Generosity is not only, my friends, about helping those in need. It's about bringing glory to God. When you and I are generous, it brings glory to God. When I fail to be generous, in other words, church, when you and I fail to be generous, we miss out on joy. We miss out on grace. We miss out on helping other people. But more than that, we miss out on the opportunity to bring God glory. Generosity brings God glory. So when I fail to be generous, I am robbing God of glory that is rightfully His. Because I'm hoarding what He's given me. During the height of the lockdowns and the toilet paper panic of March, author Trevin Wax wrote, Prudence and wisdom might lead us to stock up on supplies, but fear and selfishness lead us to hoard our goods that our neighbor may need. As Christians, we should be known for giving, not hoarding. So how can we display the generosity of Christ during a season of uncertainty? It's a good question, isn't it? How can we display the generosity of Christ during a season of uncertainty? When we give while everyone else is hoarding, we show that we trust God as the great provider. When we give as everyone else is hoarding, we show that we trust God as the great provider. And we point attention and glory to Him. Generosity brings glory to God. In fact, just last year, there was a man by the name of James Petty who released a book, and this is the title, Act of Grace, The Power of Generosity to Change Your Life, the Church, and the World. And he argues that the central challenge to the church's witness and its effectiveness 
in the 21st century is the generosity of its members. He says that our witness and our effectiveness today will be determined by the generosity of its members. It's a bold claim. But is it untrue? In a world that wars and hoards and builds and clings, what if the world saw a people characterized by a surprising generosity? Just like the early church was a picture of surprising generosity to the world around them. Chestnut Street, we are invited on a pilgrimage of generosity. Because in generosity is joy. In generosity, we experience God's grace. In generosity, we serve God's purposes and people. And in generosity, we bring God glory. And when we fail to be generous, we only hurt ourselves. You know, according to the organization Nonprofit Source, only 5% of givers tithe or give 10% of their income to the church. In fact, Christians today give 2.5% of their income. Do you know during the Great Compression, Great Compression, Great Depression, Christians gave 3.3%. They gave more percentage of their income. 34% of regular church attendees don't give money to the church at all. Church, as we said earlier, God invites us to a pilgrimage of generosity, not for His sake. God does not need anything from you. He will accomplish His purposes with or without you. He invites you to be generous, not for His sake, but for your sake. Because when we fail to be generous, we miss on joy. We miss out on grace. We miss on sharing in God's purposes. And friends, it breaks my heart because from time to time, I'll have somebody come to me and say, Adam, I was talking to a member of the church and she's unhappy with this or that and so she's not giving to the church. Or I'll have somebody else come to me and go, some regular tender at the church has decided Chestnut Street has some money in the bank, so the church doesn't actually need his money, so he's not going to give. And these things break my heart. It breaks my heart for these persons that, that they would make those statements because, friends, in the end, we hurt ourselves. God will accomplish his purposes with or without us. But we hurt ourselves. Such words make me fear that people who would say that don't understand, yet Jesus' words, it's more blessed to give than receive. And let me tell you, church, how excited I am to preach this sermon right here and now. I am so glad I'm preaching this sermon here and now. And you know why? It's because despite the pandemic, despite the shutdowns, despite the uncertainty, God has provided for our congregation richly financially. This isn't a sermon meant to fill our coffers. This is a sermon meant to fill your hearts. Church, we're doing well. God has provided generously. I am preaching today on generosity, not for our sake, but for yours. Hear that again. I am preaching today on generosity, not for our sake, but for your sake. Because church family, I believe what Jesus said. It's more blessed to give than receive. And I want you to experience the joy of generosity. I want you to participate in this act of grace that you might know more of His grace. To experience the truth of that blessedness comes not from receiving but from giving. And Chestnut Street, by our increasing generosity, I believe God will receive increasing glory. And so wherever you are today on your own pilgrimage of generosity... As the ancient proverb says, the journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. So wherever you stand today, what's the next step on a pilgrimage of generosity? 
because God's glory happens best, not by acts of charity, but by a people committed to be on a pilgrimage of generosity. Friends, what is your next step? Let's pray together. Oh, Father, thank You. You've called us to be a generous people because You are a generous God. You've given us all that we have. Poured out Your blessings upon us day after day. You caused the sun to rise upon us this morning and put breath in our lungs. You've given life to our bodies. And most perfectly and importantly, You've given us Jesus Christ. Generously pouring out the life of Your own Son that we might have life eternal. Generously giving to us that now You might use us, Your church, Your people, to give to others. Oh, Father, make us conduits of Your grace. Fill us with the joy of giving and receive glory because of the generosity of Your people, because of my generosity, because of our generosity, now and forevermore. Amen. Thank you.